Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Brown, it's Monday, it's the wind-up, how you doing? Um, good afternoon, Scott Tilford, I'm doing okay, I've got a coffee right now, in fact, so I'm going to be even better in about five minutes. Coffee-fueled podcast, you might say. Now, I have one question and one question only for you that I didn't tell you I was going to ask you, no, you before didn't. we started this podcast, and I want to know what you thought of the Uncharted movie, <laughs> oh, because wow. I know you've now finally seen it, and I love that movie, I yes. thought it was alright, but I want to open on uh, on the old Uncharted thoughts. I forgot we hadn't chatted about this, what yes. a pleasant surprise, this has boosted my idea massively, the Uncharted movie, I think think is bad but a fun time like i think it's like directed with the soul of a dead person but at the same time it's much better than it should have been and yes. i will take a sequel i think for me i went in not expecting anything at all like obviously it's tom hollander's drink i will also say i should preface this entire podcast by saying this is the wind up i'm scott tailford you're josh brown hello scott Taylor. and we always run down either things we're going to argue about things that we've just been playing or various news stories that are doing the rounds getting people wound up for the gaming week ahead or winding each other up uh, in due course which is why I want to talk about Uncharted because I thought that movie was completely perfectly serviceable if not surprising in regards to Tom Holland because I wasn't expecting one for him to get even more in shape dude is jacked AF in he that really film is. Um, I quite liked his portrayal of Drake I thought he was like lovable enough there's a bit more of an edge to him I quite liked the way he held himself and carried himself um, and I just thought it was a nice little adventure movie I thought it was better than it had any right to be but you are right it has no real differentiable directorial flair yeah. it is just serviceable and there's that bit when they go to, they go like Papa John's or something? Yeah. <laughs> they just go like, hey, we need to solve this quest. This quest goes to Papa John's. I'll Mark, meet you in Papa John's. He's like, I'm literally in a Papa John's right now. <laughs> we should at some point talk about the worst... Um, What's that name for it? Uh, sponsored content stuff. Product placement. Yes. In recent movie history, because it's not as bad as in... So you've not seen Sonic yet, have you? Not yet, no. In Sonic 1, they stop the movie to order something from Olive Garden, <laughs> and, uh, and both characters go, uh, we should get the, the Butter Bowl. It's worth $15.99. Like, oh, don't get the two-for-one. And um, it, there's that thing. And then, like, yeah, but there's a whole Papa John's thing in Uncharted. I just thought it would um, it would be no. funny to open the pot on this. Dude, but, like, yeah. I there's a lot of positives in that film. Like you said, uh, Tom Holland as Nathan Drake was really surprising and mm. I, I like that they didn't do young Nathan Drake obviously he's Same. a younger Nathan Drake but it's not like the flashbacks from no. Uncharted you know 2 or 3 or 4 whatever and um, he's playing like just a slightly younger version of the game character mm. and I thought it worked I thought he like looked appropriate I thought he acted appropriate I thought mm. he brought a lot of swagger and charisma to that role it's just a shame that Mark Wahlberg isn't Sully Wahlberg whatsoever. isn't Sully <laughs> I did think that like it was pace we'll move on from this very very soon because there are many games to talk about that we've all been playing actual various new video games or newish things. Yeah. Um, Sniper Elite 5 is out next week, so another actual new video game. But we've been playing stuff, and there's also news things to get to as well. Um, but I did think the first half of Uncharted was quite well paced. I like the woman, I forget her name, who plays Chloe, and I thought that stuff was coming together very well. It's in the middle where it sags a lot. And then at yeah. the end, I quite like that they came up with a new kind of Naughty Dog esque set piece with the two dueling pirate ships. I was like, that's very Uncharted 4, but like a whole mid air pirate ship thing. That's kind of cool. There were just a lot of things where Maybe because I went in expecting Liquid S, that it was like <laughs> it was just not that, and I was like, okay, it's fine, it's fun enough. My issue is, I I, I like it conceptually. I mm. like what they did with the story and the remixing, like you said. I really also like the uh, set piece that they invented, like you said as well. Mm. It's just that the way it was put together, the way it was pieced together, the way that some of the even like the jokes are framed. Right. It's like it was edited and shot and directed by like an alien. It's very who, safe. Who's never like it, like never told a joke. <laughs> 
before in their lives. Yeah, when you see like, like an algorithm and it's like, oh, this AI just painted a painting. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the end of the world, to be honest. That's not, I don't like that at all. And it's like, oh, this this AI just made a movie. It's called Uncharted. And it cast Tom Holland. Like, it's just hitting all the beats. It absolutely feels like that. But like I said, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a complete trash fire mm. to start a franchise on. If they get like a better director in for the next one and they do some interesting things with it, mm. I will be there. If they keep Sully's mustache, I will be there. <laughs> if they age Drake up, bring in Elena, I will be there, you know? So it mm. did its job by making me excited for the franchise, even though it's a movie I will never watch again. My mind can't process time this year. Okay. Was Uncharted this year? It was It really was this year. So early it this is year. maybe my film of the year so far. That is that's so outrageous. That's something that. I said to Pop the Boys. My actual film of this, of this year is probably Everything Everywhere All at Once. Go, Just go see all the films. There's many things. Top Gun's out soon. It's shocking Loads. that you said that, and I didn't even register it as a joke until afterwards. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of 2022, let's talk about some games. Um, now, we all got access to the closed beta of Multiverses, which is Warner Brothers' attempt at literally doing a Smash Brothers, um, which is kind of funny because I saw people on um, Twitter just saying, look, there's been enough of these now that it should be a genre. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you have Smash Brothers, you had Nickelodeon's attempt. There's Brawlhalla, which was the... Um, Brawlhalla is really weird because they got the Kung Fu Panda license, so I, I went running. Sorry, then, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at you throwing the Nickelodeon one under the bus by referring to it as the Nickelodeon That attempt. was a terrible <laughs> No, it totally is. It's just funny how you did it. You, it was like the perfect Honestly, shoot. <laughs> the thing is, great. like, I, I play a lot of Smash Brothers more recently since Ultimate. Like, that's when I really got into Smash Brothers. I play every day. I play on the train. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a toxic curse. But I play a lot of it. And there are some Smash Brothers games that have heart and some that just feel like you're ripping off the thing that went before. Um, in Brawlhalla's case, as much as that game looks solid enough, the mechanics are very tight, they would um, get the license for something like the Kung Fu Panda license and then not do hardly anything with the voice work, make it feel like those characters are there. Um, and the same thing with the Nickelodeon one. They just bought the character models in, but they didn't pay for the voice acting. So it just feels weirdly dead. Like yeah. the Nickelodeon Kart Racer and the Smash Brothers one. Um, I can't even think what you call the Nickelodeon Smash thing. It's like All-Star Brawl or something. Yeah. It'd be something like that. Something like that. Probably, I've just guessed that, but I think that's what that is. <laughs> um, didn't have any voice acting. So it just sounded really dead. The complete difference with Multiverses is that the team of people here really care, or you can tell that they care. Um, it is in a framework of what I'll have to assume will be microtransactions because there's a storefront page on the on the homepage. Okay. There's a lot of um, unlocking uh, gold coins to buy characters, to buy emotes, to buy taunts. There's a battle pass thing in here. There's all the trappings of a, of a major online service game. Um, but the mechanics are solid. They've got voice actors. Kevin Conroy is Batman. Nice. Um, you've got Tara Strong as Holly Quinn. Like They've got um, all the different sound effects from the various TV shows, like things like Tom and Jerry or Tom's iconic scream when he gets launched. Um, that thing that the noise he does that I'm not going to do in this podcast room. Um, that oh thing. <laughs> it's like that. Uh, Bugs Bunny's noise that he does. There's um, there's a lot of stuff in there. Taz is in there. Yes. Like, all those things, including as well, Arya Stark, who can throw a pie. God, yeah. Who can throw a pie that as one of her specials because hot pie. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. And so little things like that that make you go, okay, this dev team cared. Like they were allowed access to various, um, you know, sound files, whatever it was that go alongside very tight animation. Um, and it feels not Smash Brothers quality, but they're way closer than any of these competitors have been. That's great. And so for me, as someone who plays a hell of a lot of Smash Brothers, um, it was solid. It did take up uh, quite a lot of my weekend and I played a lot of it. I unlocked Batman, I unlocked Superman, Wonder Woman, I think is my main. She's great. Um, I like all the sword characters that are in these games. A lot of people get sick of them, but they're great. And um, so, yeah, I was quite pleasantly surprised by it for as much as it could be, because it's Warner Brothers, be like the most thrown together free to play thing. Yeah. Um, there is a soul here. There's a heart to it. That's so I, I'm curious how it's going to land once it is directly up against Smash Brothers. But the closed beta was pretty promising. Yeah, I was um, really excited to check it out tonight. I think the closed mm -hmm. beta ends uh, tonight. So I'm going to finally etch out some time and jump in because like... The Smash Brothers-esque formula often isn't something that I am intrigued in because mm. it's just a lot of, like, contained chaos. But I it find can it be really messy. incredibly messy and yeah. chaotic, which I know is obviously a huge part of the appeal. But as someone who just gets, like, frustrated with mm. their friends, especially if I'm playing against them, mm -hmm. I, I, I often don't have fun. Well, but, oh, go on. like you said here, um, I care way more about the WB roster of characters that they have amassed oh, than yeah. the Nintendo sorts like that freak Kirby. That's melting my brain. I'm sure it is. But the Smash Brothers Ultimate roster's got loads of people on it. Yeah, he's got Solid Snake in there. I wouldn't mind Cloud's a Cloud's in there. Sephiroth's in there. I can play, you Nina know. Nina from Fist. I can play Final Arms. Fantasy. I can play Final Fantasy, Scott Hilton, if I want to play as Cloud Strife. However, <laughs> I cannot play 
like Scooby doing the cyber chase. Can I? If I want to play no. as Shaggy, but I can play multiverses. That's and true. Play as Shaggy. That's Shaggy my as thing. well is full on uh, Super Saiyan glowing eyes, <laughs> like meme Shaggy um, entirely. And so yeah, like and also you got like the guys from Adventure Timer in here, Finn and Jake. If uh, Jake does his like crazy meme dance, there's just there's a lot of little things in here from the animations to the different um, taunts that you can do, the attacks that they have themselves that are either cribbed from iconic episodes of that particular character's uh, show or just like they just sound like those characters are there. Um, like Tom and Jerry, they fight together, so it's always like Tom throwing Jerry at someone. Like their upward um, uppercut move is just strapping a rocket to Jerry and then firing him straight upwards. Um, you can lose Jerry as well. One thing to mention is that the way that, because the, there's two main things that differentiate it from Smash. One is that there are tons of aerial moves. Um, uh-huh. Like you can stay in the air a lot more. The tutorial prompts like encourage you to go off the map and like like if you launch someone off the map, jump after them and fight them in the air. Because um, you have, um, you can do infinite air moves, you can do two air dashes, and then you can do two air dodges before you run out of everything. Nice. Which is one of the most common complaints about Smash Brothers that you can only really recover um, in a very t- limited window, and uh, if you get that wrong, then just slowly f- like floating to your death in Smash Brothers is like the worst feeling ever. Oh, I know um, that. And so there's loads of that, so they've tried to directly combat that. The other thing is that they've added a lot of, again, what could be abused by the microtransaction stuff, uh, perks per character. Mm. So you're equipping perks before you fight, so it's, it is like plus 5 to 5% attack damage or whatever, all that type of stuff. Um, but at the same time, it means that you do have more abilities that affect other like fighters in the arena. So like you can buff your companions, you can make them faster. You can actually um, use. I think it's Wonder Woman has the lasso where you can like say you jumped off the stage and you were fighting someone in midair. Um, oh no, sorry, it's not Wonder Woman. It's it's the dog from uh, Steven Universe. Um, can like throw a lasso around you and then you can't fall off. I can hold you up. Cool. And so those tag moves have never been in Smash Brothers. Uh, or sorry, in Smash Brothers Ultimate. Um, but it makes you think in terms of like buffing other characters, like you know, like which again could be completely abused, could be unbalanced or whatever. Yeah. But it gives like an extra dimension to like smash fighting because you're working as a team way more tightly. I'm so pleased that this at least sounds like more than just a gimmick because this could yeah. have just been a gimmick, like you said, totally. get a bunch of recognizable characters, get a bunch of memes in there, you know, that will set the internet on fire for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you said, you know, like it has more of a soul than a lot of the imitators of Smash that we've seen mm. so far. But my question is, Go on. if this is a success, and Smash is obviously a success, yes. will we see PlayStation All-Star Battle Royale 2 Almost definitely. anytime soon? Sony are not anything if not rip-off merchants. <laughs> so they would they would love a bankable idea. They, if anything, they've been waiting for this. Like, I mean, if you go online and read the history of the All-Stars, the way that game came together was an absolute mess. Like, they just barely threw stuff together. They couldn't get the... They didn't put the work in to get the licenses right, which is why we ended up with the Helgen Soldier from Killzone. Right. Um, and, you know, the Crash wasn't in there, Spyro wasn't in there, all these other first-party... or play station associated IP uh, characters that should have been in there that they didn't want to pay for and so it was like what can we do what, what, what can we do a whip round for and make it work yeah. whereas now the amount of money that Warner Brothers are throwing at this thing um, which is how much it should be done um, I think they would look at that and go okay there's furtive ground for this to be done like I said the, the smash genre should be a thing yeah, like it just totally. absolutely should be um, so yeah I was personally surprised by multiverses I'm going to play a lot more of it um, I forget whether it does have any premium pricing models I would assume there's some sort of pre-order thing um, it's gearing up to be a very good free to play game and um, just because the actual mechanics are just easy to jump into it's literally smash like if you play yeah. any smash brothers game it's the same stuff um but with additional things like additional air moves and stuff and all the perk stuff so we'll see how that stuff shakes out um you've been playing tunic which is one of the 2022's best games absolutely ah. and it's so surprising for me because obviously it came um out at the time where we had horizon we mm. had dying light we had elden ring then this little isometric you know classic rpg style game came out and uh it just kind of flew into the radar, but it got really good reviews. Little animal protagonist. Least of which, not least of which, sorry, from you. Yeah, <laughs> where you play as this little fox. You're in this, like I said, this kind of Zelda-esque world where you're exploring and you're trying to find uh, certain uh, keys to, you know, eventually fight the main boss and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's all about, you know... Well, if you played an older Zelda game, you'll be right at home here. And this might end up being your first classic Zelda game. This is it. This is why it's so <laughs> hilarious, man, because I'm making these comparisons without even having played those older games. But it's just obviously so inspired by those older games mm. that you can't ignore them. But yeah, I jumped into this. And if you know 
me, you'll know that this is not my genre of it's choice so not. or my aesthetic of choice. The the length of the smile that I width of the smile that I did when you text me saying you were playing Tunic was uh, seismic. Absolutely, put the window out. I was going to get to it eventually, but it was on Game Pass, and I thought, right, I want to play a 2022 game. It was obviously acclaimed, <laughs> and I jumped. <laughs> don't in. we all? Don't, no, don't we all? Uh, so yeah, I've just been having a whole load of fun in that title, mm. and the more I play, I, I did like almost like two-thirds of it in one sitting yesterday because I just wanted to get through it. But the way that game opens up and the way that game makes you feel powerful... It's it just makes me realize how what I love about video games, right. and it's not you know leveling up screens. It's the ability to get an item and have that fundamentally change the way you play. Mm. So the rewards in this game for exploring the dungeons, for exploring the levels, like tangibly change the way that you experience the game, the mm-hmm. way you experience the map. It's like classic Metroidvania style stuff, but it works so well here and is so smartly implemented that it's kept me going for a long time. The way that the world is put together to me is just like impeccable. I said to you before we started uh, recording that for me, it has the best shortcut design since the first Dark Souls. Every I time I open up a new shortcut to get back to an older area, mm. uh, it just blows my mind in the way that they use the perspective of that isometric perspective mm. to hide avenues and then to reveal those through, you know, smart and creative ways has just, it's Oh man, I can't wait to go home and play it. There's something it. about it as well that, like, in terms of the art design, it's sort of made to be. Everything looks like it's made of like foam or felt. Like yeah. everything kind of looks like a diorama, and like you can interact with everything. There's a, there's a physics model on everything. Whether you're sort of rubbing up against little cuboid trees, or just the way that you sort of attack enemies, or the way that um, your character moves, like that's just so delightful in itself. It feels like it's kind of it's kind of what Nintendo were going for with the Link's Awakening remake, where everything just looks like a small miniature set, um, or like the Hitman Go or the the Go series, and um, that Ubisoft. Did. Ubisoft did? IO Interactive. Whoever published that thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? The I little, know exactly what you mean. The little tiny hitman. Yeah. Um, that whole approach to it. And that's one of the things that I love. However, the, the next level thing for Tunic, I think, is the way that they do tutorialization. And yes. the fact that they make it so that you actually find pages of what used to be old game manuals. Like back in the day, I'm talking real life now. Um, where you, know, you would get a game when you were younger and you would like sit in the back of the car while your parents drove you home or you're on the bus or whatever and you would just lose yourself in the in the magazine, in the, uh, the instruction uh, booklet. That's what you now find in game but the way that they've done it is that obviously in those old instruction books they would mention the lore of whatever the game world was so now they're using it in game to like let you actually find out the history of the world find out what moves you've even got and it's all this like meta thing that only really works if you ever lived that in the first place like you have those reference points as a gamer it's incredible dude like they literally tell you nothing about even the most basic items (laughs) in the game so you're picking up um, upgrade materials or you're picking up buffs Mm. and you can see the shape of it but it'll have like question marks over Mm. it or it'll have like the in-game language that you can't uh, decipher until you find the pages of the manual like Mm -hmm. you said and just putting that manual together and jumping into it uh, to get hints and tips of where you need to Mm. go next is just a great way to uh, drive the player around your world you don't have you know even a character saying you need to go here you need to go there you don't have waypoints Mm. you need to look into the your little in-game manual that you've um, you know accrued through these pages Mm -hmm. and then you get you understand how to beat bosses you understand where you need to go next and that's just a sense of progression that's entirely unique in this day and age oh, yeah. to like a game like this obviously like you said it's inspired by previous titles but the way it um narrativizes that kind of meta framing it was i remember you telling me that it had that but mm. i didn't know how far they were going to push it until i experienced it for myself and that's been an element that's just again it's brought so much joy like it's it's it informs the way the world is put together mm. so when you combine the actual traversal, the actual exploration, uh, with uh, how you're traversing it, like in your own mental map by mm. using the pages, it's just it's wholly unique and it's a pleasure. <laughs> and if you like video games, I think it's a it's a it's a video game ass video game. Yes. That's that's a general genre or a quantifying label that I want to get out there. Like there are some games that are just video game ass video games, and like yeah, Tunic is made for gamers. Like it's not that bothered about having you know insanely wide mainstream appeal. Although I think you could just give it to most people and they'd get a kick out of it. But it has that extra layer of just like we know what you grew up with, we know what we're pulling from. Like you said, it's Zelda AF, and um, but with like a nice ext- um, expansion of that in regards to the physics and the way the combat works, and it does get quite challenging. Like yeah. um, especially with the boss fights and stuff. 
And so I feel like it's it has its own identity that comes through over time, and it it, it is very much rooted in the way that they um, deliver the world to you. Like, yeah. and the fact that you take all those things for granted everywhere else. Like, if you read a booklet about his old Zelda game, you do know Ganon's the enemy and it's Hyrule and whatever. Whereas if you just remove all that stuff and find those pages, it kind of works backwards, but in the same way. Like, it's really really cool. Um, I will quickly say in terms of um, something else that I've been playing is just Arkham stuff. I'm still in a, in a Batman mood. Um, Batman Arkham Origins massively reappreciated um, these nice. days. I would say. Yes. Um, I think it's very much worth playing. I kind of feel sorry for um, Warner Brothers Montreal back in the day because it did just come out in 2013 and it felt like it was just that tagged on just one more Batman game after Asylum, after City. And because it wasn't Rocksteady, we all went, ah, I don't want that. That's just a cash in. And it is in regards to mechanics, but I feel like there's enough, um, again, heart and soul and a purpose for it to exist that I really like. I really like, I mean, this is in general Batman fiction, but I like old, well, well young Bruce Wayne, where like he's more brutal, he's breaking more bones, Alfred's more worried about him. Um, he's he's letting his anger out on the populace, which is obviously what the new Batman movie pulled from. Um, and he has a nice little arc inside Origins. It's very much signposted, but you get to be old, brutal Bruce, nice. smashing some dude's face in, um, and then realizing that actually there's probably a better way to you know look after Gotham than just be um, this like brutal maniac. I think that stuff's really cool. And like Troy Baker's Joker is brilliant. Um, the Cold Cold Heart DLC, I finished that. Um, the way that you fight Freeze at the end of that is very much Arkham City, mm-hmm. but in like a bigger space with more goons, but it still wants you to do like unique takedowns every time. So I get why people absolutely love that fight. Um, but yeah, I think Origins is really cool. Like, I think it's a shame that it's not included as part of the Return to Arkham uh, trilogy, really like, is, or the yeah. collection thing. Um, I think that it just deserves to be talked about like it's just so it's just a footnote and rocksteady themselves didn't include it on arkham knight's credits where they went like oh this is arkham asylum <laughs> and then they did screenshots and oh and then we did arkham city and then nothing else and then arkham knight and it was like man you guys really hate this and it was probably a really horrible development where they didn't have a say in it or whatever um but also that game i never realized um back in the day because it's only the second time i've ever gone through it in full they teased the suicide squad game that they were yeah. clearly uh-huh. gonna do but then obviously it got cancelled um but yeah amanda waller's in there deathstroke's in there but then it didn't obviously didn't come together just think about that man like mm. you have the suicide squad tees in arkham origins mm. you have the superman tees in arkham knight <laughs> yeah. and none of those games got made no that's a hell of a tumultuous time across the 2010s totally. um for them so the other thing that you were playing is the outer wilds dlc oh absolutely i uh you know i actually played a bit of this before christmas and then mm-hmm. went back to it restarted it because if you jump into the outer wilds uh it's just the most confusing game <laughs> ever to pick up and play but you but once you're in it it feels like nothing else and while this dlc isn't as good as the main game. It takes some swings that I didn't love. It's still very, very I was going to go, so we didn't batter, and then I didn't, Uh, and then I did. It it takes some swings that I didn't love, but it just reminded me that The Outer Wilds is one of the best games of all time. I think it is. And it's incredible. I was watching, like, lore videos on the DLC and what that adds um, to The Outer Wilds canon is just great. Like, that story... Uh, how it like takes something that looks quite cartoony mm. and then you know expands it to a literal cosmic level where you're interrogating these mad wild philosophical themes and it's like the end of the universe as we know it and stuff the way it branches out to that is so great and this adds uh, without spoiling anything obviously just an extra element to that story that I absolutely adored and it's uh it's it's funny because just to say what the premise is you mm. essentially go to this spacecraft that is a kind of artificial habitat, an artificial environment. Mm-hmm. So it's a space station, but it's kind of like the Citadel right. on um, Mass Effect. So you've got like all of this greenery, you've got all of this nature and stuff, and it's a big circle. Mm-hmm. So it goes upside down on itself. And uh, to spoil one thing, um, about five or 10 minutes into you landing on this mm-hmm. place, uh, a kind of like tsunami comes through okay. and it changes the landscape and just, the way that these developers change the, the the environment, the way that they make you think about how the world functions and works, like what will I be able to access once this water comes in? You know, where, right. where it gets you thinking about that and planning for that. It just, again, like I said, it made me realize that the, the, the original game is a masterpiece and this is a great, great addition. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. 
no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Someday, I'm going to have to try Wild, Outer Wilds again because I, I just keep trying it. And I don't, it doesn't click and I don't know if it will be better now that it's been patched more. Maybe the frame rate's smoother. Maybe whatever. Tell you what I was going to say when I was playing well, Arkham to very quickly drop this in. Yeah. I had a revelation with frame rates when I was playing the old Arkham games because uh, Arkham Knight is still stuck at 30 FPS. However, um, it is nailed on 30 FPS. When you finally go back to it and play those old Arkham games, I've been playing Arkham Asylum as well, um, they are fixed at 30. And I realized that as much as I love 60 and I'm a bit of a frame rate snob these days, never used to be, um, the issue I have, which you go to something like on Nintendo's platforms, if you play, uh, you know, the um, Bowser's Fury DLC, the Mario stuff, that's meant to be targeting 30, but it clearly doesn't hit it. Right. And so it gets in the 20s. The thing that I hate um, that was making me go, ugh, 30 FPS, it's when they target it. If you fix 30, I might say it's it's fine. Like yeah, it's, it is you, fine. You can get a buy with fixed 30. Yeah. It's the variable aiming for 30 stuff that feels horrible. I know it's the most technical, stupid conversation, no. but my point is yeah. that those old games that for some stupid reason Warner Brothers won't just do a 60 <laughs> FPS patch on um, are still very much playable and are still smooth enough, and they do hit 30 and stick on it, um, at least on PlayStation 5. And so um, Arkham Origins, I was on Xbox, but the other ones are on PS5. And so, yeah, that was my revelation with frame rates was like, if you can nail 30 and not budge off it at all, that's fine. Well, I'll say this. Do you know what else nails 30 FPS on PS5? Outer Wilds? Bloodborne, my friend. (laughs) And that still owns. So if you've made peace with 30 FPS with Arkham, please, finally... Go back to that. I went back to that after they did the VRR, the variable refresh rate update, yes. to see if it had fixed it. And it was it was a bit smoother, but it wasn't locked 30. It was still fluctuating a little bit. Okay. 28, 29. I'm, I'm going to need 30. I don't I'm, know. That's I'm going to need it. That seems like a small caveat, that. seems I, like I very convenient to say that it was 29 and not 30. It's true. I think that if it was um, Batman was in there, then I would, <laughs> I would, I'd be able to just force myself through it. But because it's Bloodborne and I don't like it that much, I wish. It's, it's harder. Batman was in the outer wild so you would play and appreciate that as much as I do. It's Same. one of those games, you know, we, we all have those games where you just want other people to love it and then yes. they don't love it and you think, how can I force this on you? <laughs> how can I make your brain like this game? You buy it for them as a birthday present <laughs> or a Christmas present. Um, but yeah, for Outer Wilds though, um, like I, the thing that fascinated me with that, I don't know how much of this comes through in the uh, DLC, is the, the literal sort of geometry side of it and the literal like, you know, modeling uh, an actual solar system and then shrinking it down. I remember there was a whole thing about Outer Wilds, the main game, that it is like a scale model of an actual solar system, that like yeah. the rotations of the planets and the um, the uh, orbits that they all have are modeled on real planets. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. And there is a feeling when you're going through it that like every single part of it is meticulous and modeled and it feels ge- like geometrically appropriate for what they're going for. And like, is that something that comes across in the DLC? Like it just feels like a whole bunch of people with um, square rules 
yeah. went in and made it all fit proper uh, perfectly. Totally. That's what I kind of meant about like the uh, environment and the way like the water is used, mm. to, you know, to change like the the, the, the landscape and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, it does feel like a kind of miniaturized version of the of the main game in that regard and the way that everything fits together because you have the regular space that you're exploring this time around, but you also have a digital like dreamland that um, is running concurrently with um, the like the, the the reality of where you are. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like you're in two places at once and trying to account for that is really interesting. It's just like they do stuff with, um, you know, physics right. and game worlds. I don't think anyone else is doing. And I don't think any other game makes you feel smarter for figuring stuff out than Ooh, the Outer Wilds. Right. It gives you enough to like, you know, make these discoveries uh, for yourself. But like like you said, you know, you're going f- in the main game, you're going from being this one person in one planet to mm. understanding how the entire universe fits together in like getting to that point and making those discoveries along the way is always just like smart because the world fits together in a logical way. That well, that's, that's the thing. that That's why I bounced off it because I was like, there's a meticulous, pristine thing here, this clockwork mechanism of a game that I cannot, for the life of me, even scratch away the surface at. I'm literally literally bouncing off planets trying to land there. <laughs> I'm literally bouncing off all these things that should be really cool. And um, But yeah, I forever love the idea of Outer Wilds and people who click with it say things like, yeah, it's one of the best games of all time and it's so meticulous. And I've watched some of those lore videos too, like just to sort of like try and get it, what the hell is this thing? Um, but yeah, I'm forever amazed by Outer Wilds. I think at some point I'll eventually go through it again. But like, it's just, it's hard, man. It is. It's hard. hard. It is. And it's it's interesting because I always think that it's going to be, if if we ever do uh, this chatty faces again, expect mm. me to say this exact thing. Because it's the one game that I wish I could wipe my memory of and play right. fresh. Because it's, it's, you can appreciate it the second time through, but it's in the discovery mm. that the joy comes from it. But mm. I always wonder, if I did wipe my brain, would I... <laughs> Like, is there a chance that I just wouldn't get it the second time around? Because it, it is so big and it is so obtuse in mm. a lot of ways that you have to be kind of in the right mood well, for it to want to click with it. If that makes that sense. was kind of the thing with Elden Ring, where within the first 15 minutes, I'd gone underground into that Nokron <laughs> underworld place. And then I think 50 hours later is when you found it. So it's like some stuff is just so circumstantial and um, that I guess it can kind of backfire. Um, we should transition into the news portion of the show though, because there are at least three big stories doing the rounds. Um, one of which pretty fresh off the presses and uh, revealed by Nick Baker over on the Xbox era podcast is that Square Enix are apparently thinking about releasing Final Fantasy 16 instead of Forspoken later this year. Um, both games being uh, PlayStation exclusives, I believe. I'm pretty sure Forspoken is or it Final is. Fantasy definitely is. Both are. Yes. And so um, it seems like Forspoken is going to be delayed. Um, this also comes after producer Noki Yoshida said that development is almost complete on Final Fantasy 16, and it only has a few quality improvements left, with another trailer apparently coming soon. So, it's very interesting this, because I think Forspoken is, like, just barely anything. Like, it looks like it plays really well, yeah. um, but there's very little else going on with it, and I think it's such a shame because it's written by Gary Witter and Amy Hennig, and they're, like, a powerhouse duo, but every step of that game's reveal, it looks corporatized yes. AF. Like, there's no way that those guys made that world as safe and as the dialogue as quippy and marvel chasing as it as it looks um so for me i would absolutely take final fantasy 16 uh instead of forespoken i would as well because i am the biggest final fantasy fan right now and uh, <laughs> no get one you off stranger of paradise no one has played more final fantasy games than me <laughs> because i have played one uh, a whole one but um yeah I'm, one. I'm looking forward to this you know i thought like the reveal trailer looked weird. Obviously, Mm. they changed what Final Fantasy is with every mainline game, but uh, this one in particular, at least for me, I was kind of thinking, is this Final Fantasy? Is this a main game? Like, what's going on? That's the beauty of it, because they're returning in a mainline installment that isn't Final Fantasy XIV to, like, a fantasy setting, and they've not Mm -hmm. done a swords and and sorcery Final Fantasy since, like, six, and so, um, like, a a real old-school medieval-style one, so it's like, that's fascinating, because it's been a long time since Final Fantasy VI. Absolutely. I was looking at, you know, like the older trailers and mm. the synopsis on uh, Wikipedia and stuff. And I, I must admit, for as much as I am interested in it, mm. do I, I said, again, I said this to you before we started recording, <laughs> do we need another game about a thing called the Blight, which is like this red <laughs> energy that is corrupting and taking over things? I don't know if we do necessarily. Since but you pointed that out, it's, it is in everything. It is. But it I think is. it's because like the amount of games like Anthem or the Avengers or whatever that 
just need a nebulous evil thing to yeah. just to just manifest and become you know possesses enemies. It's a there's a cluster of it that you need to attack for a while. And um, you need all these sort of like uh, group terms for stuff. I think the blights just something that so many different devs have just landed on. One hundred percent. I mean, Scott, you're a bigger Final Fantasy fan than I am. All jokes aside. Slightly. Uh, so yeah, only a little bit, oh, I will say. Only a little bit. Only a little bit. Um, but when it comes to like this title, you know, from mm. what I can gather and from what and from the people I've talked to, yes. the mainline Final Fantasy games for a long time have been divisive, to say the best. Even 15, <laughs> which I know people liked more, but yes. I know there was the whole thing about how it shifted in the late game and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like, what, like, genuinely, what should I be expecting in terms of quality from a mainline fan- Final Fantasy in 2022, you'll definitely—it's right to expect a level of production quality. Like you'll, it should—it should be a—it should look immaculate. Right. And um, obviously the trailers are out there, but I think they all, Final Fantasies have always had a graphical knockout. Like although we're back to the Final Fantasies, the first time it went into 3D, and that game was very much sold on its cutscenes of like, look how stunning Final Fantasy VII looks. And obviously people got into gameplay and went, that's not what that looked like in the uh, <laughs> trailers and stuff. But yeah, um, the thing that I'm looking forward to the most, I think that they will nail, is just how much of a step up Final Fantasy VII Remake's combat was. Because for the longest time, they've tried to make some sort of combat system that wasn't just turn-based. Um, like Final Fantasy um, eleven was the first online one, and then you had twelve. that sort of, you're dialing in moves in twelve, but you're still kind of waiting for like, it was like MMO combat. You were like yeah. waiting for meters to fill up. And um, 13 was then turn-based again, but it was kind of automated. And 14 was online only, and then 15 was kind of live action. You kind of could push buttons to do combos, but you could also just dial them in again. And then 7 Remake was like, okay, let's do an actual hack and slash, like perfectly, very satisfying platinum game style hack and slash thing. Yeah. Or, uh, sorry, and you can pause whenever you want to punch in certain spells and like, you know, pause the action, rotate the camera. For me, that was the best of both worlds. And they finally got there. So I'm hoping that's what they bring across. Um, and it finally has that feel of like, you can play it all out action with shortcuts if you want, or you can pause and rotate the camera and do cool moves um, in slow motion with freeze frames and everything else. So, yeah, there's that. I mean, like you said, every Final Fantasy is different. So, like, I'm curious what story they write for this one. 15 was weird. Like, that thing's um, development was a complete mess. Like, it started as, like, a different game. It was going to be part 2 to 13 or something, and then it came out as 15. And like you said, the end of it was a complete mess. So this is the first time um, that they've had like a a blank slate in a while. Um, And obviously it's been like seven years since Final Fantasy 15. And I'm pretty sure 16 started development before 15 anyway. Right. So it seems like they've got um, a lot of plans that hopefully like come to fruition. But yeah, I love Final Fantasy. I think that like it's been a while since you could just give someone like he is like Final Fantasy VII Remake had so much expectation and like it was in itself was like this weird riff on the original that like barely made any sense towards the end and um, this should be a one where you can just give them a thing and go this is Final Fantasy yes but, um, in regards to what you said about like the um, trajectory of the series over time there was a golden period between like um, 6 and I'm gonna say 10 because people don't always rate 10 but I love 10 so yeah, I'll go 6 to 10 and then it's been higgledy-piggledy since then yeah. so like um, yeah 12 was like a Weird one, 15 was a mess, so it's like, 15 was good, but it was a bit of a mess. I don't know. It will be interesting when we see more from this because what fascinates me is that it's a PlayStation 5 exclusive. Like yes. it's not, as far as we know at this moment in time anyway, mm. it's not coming to PlayStation 4. So I want to see how they harness the power of the PS5 <laughs> to steal a marketing term to make like a new big Final Fantasy. Do you think that considering the amount of just how empty the rest of this year is and we know that on June 12th is going to be the Xbox Bethesda showcase, Sony announced a state of play or announced some sort of summer games fest thing and go not only have we acquired Square Enix, Oof. but Final Fantasy 16, not only is Final Fantasy 16 also coming this year, but it's PlayStation 5 exclusive and it's the next big thing to show off the PlayStation 5. That feels like it could absolutely work. Absolutely. Like if, if this, um, you know, rumor leak thing is correct and it is taking Forspoken's Spoken's um, place, mm. I do think, you know, Sony and Square will Square wanna, Enix need a win as they well. Need, they, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> if, I mean, just to backtrack for a second, if mm-hmm. you're Square Enix needing a win and you're looking at the calendar and you're thinking, we've got Forspoken here, but Final Fantasy that. will definitely sell more. We're definitely going to push Forspoken. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think uh, if it is coming out soon, um, Sony and Square need to ramp up some kind of marketing for it because we saw those trailers like a year ago, but yeah. we've not seen anything from it since. I would, uh, I would support. Especially. Yeah, I would support pushing back Forspoken and bumping up Final Fantasy 16. I'm just so curious yeah. what that thing is going to be. 
Does Sony have a knockout year, my friend, if this comes out this year? Because if you think about it, they've had uh, Horizon. They've had Gran Turismo. They've had Sifu. They may have God of War, and they may have Final (laughs) Fantasy, and they may have Forspoken. That's a good lineup when Microsoft has nothing. Well, that's kind of the thing, is that right now, we just did a news on the fact that uh, over the weekend, and it's still trending, Game Pass is trending because so many people are cancelling their accounts, um, that if Sony then capitalize on that and say, well, stick around for us because we've got PlayStation plus premium uh, with all the old games that you love all the exclusives that you want for a monthly fee and we've got all these new games coming as well that makes them the most marketing sense in the world it's just that they need to make sure that the exclusives are as polished as possible yeah and so yeah like um naoka yoshida says there's only a few quality improvements left you would assume with another three four months they'd iron them out and then that would be the next big playstation exclusive i'm sold i'm gonna play final <laughs> fantasy stranger than paradise before this comes out i'm a need to get it i coined the term death sentence to you <laughs> when we were on our lunch which is a sentence in itself that is one of the worst things i could hear and that's you playing stranger of paradise before you played final fantasy 7 <laughs> i like that the I, original. I don't even know the name of it. I just keep calling it like Stranger Something Paradise. I don't know I what it actually is called, but I I'm can't live like this, well, Josh Brown. I can't do this. Well, I'll I, buy you a copy of Final Fantasy IX. It's, <laughs> it's, it's got to be done. Um, next news thing is something that actually was published in 2021, but it's doing the rounds online as it's been written up by Video Game Chronicle and various people um, just on social media, um, which comes from a book called The Ultimate History of Video Games Volume 2, um, which is to say that after 2014, apparently Marvel um, promoted a dude called Jay Ong to be their vice president of games, and his main mission was to explore from 2014 onwards why, or sorry, to look into why Marvel's um, properties hadn't worked as well in video games as they were in movies. And so the big news thing that came out of this was that he apparently approached uh, Microsoft and Sony to do um, exclusives. And <laughs> this is just a weird branching thing in time because Xbox Xbox said no to him. Apparently he, they were offered exclusive Marvel games and Xbox said no, whereas obviously PlayStation said yes, and it led to Spider-Man and Miles Morales, and eventually obviously we're going to get, get uh, Wolverine. And so it's just one of those things where apparently Xbox declined um, to focus on their own IP, according to Jay Ong. Um, but like I said, that was... Why did you not make the most? You were Listen, two man. years removed from the Avengers. What the hell were you doing? I am I am not a businessman. I am <laughs> dumb. But if someone came to me and said, do you want a do you bunch want of Marvel Spider-Man? characters? Do you yeah. want Spider-Man? Uh, I would never say no, no. Because, I mean, yes, the Activision stuff wasn't selling well, but I thought I think anyone, including, you know, Marvel themselves, mm. could see that those characters weren't being ju- done justice with the budgets and the resources that Activision were mm. giving those characters. Mm-hmm. You know, you take them out of the equation, you give them to a publisher and a developer who cares, who has mm. the resources to pump into these projects the same amount of money they would with any AAA title. Mm-hmm. And then you've seen how they can flourish with Spider-Man in particular, just doing absolutely insane numbers for Sony. So yeah, I just don't get it, especially when, you know, since then, Microsoft have bought like every company under the sun, yeah. and yet they didn't want to invest in Spider-Man. I don't understand how that works. Well, that's kind of the thing. This is the era, this is before they were in the big snatch-up era. True. So it's like, but that's even the thing is if you you go back to 2014 what were they focused on you had yeah. sunset overdrive like i mean there's <laughs> there's very little that was worth knocking back spidey for and or, or any sort of marvel property hey, for yeah why would you want spidey when you've got quantum break well, that's the thing. I mean, stuff like that. And apparently part of the pitch was um, the discussions around Batman Arkham, how big that was, and the idea of building up the Marvel side of things to be something that would rival Arkham, um, which, you know, there's been more recent rumors about the idea of Warner Brothers selling to Xbox or selling to Microsoft, and that would be the opposing side to the Marvel stuff that's on Sony's side. Um, obviously, that's a more recent thing, but if you see the competition or you see something like Arkham taken off, why wouldn't you want your own piece of that pie? That just seems like a massive missed opportunity that could have, especially now, would have massively saved them because there's no Xbox games for the rest of this year. It really does kind of blow my mind to look at what the industry chases and Mm. what it doesn't because the industry as a whole are a bunch of, you know, they're a bunch of rip-off merchants (laughs) to steal a phrase from you earlier. You know, they will follow Call of Duty until they are driven into the ground. Mm. They will chase Overwatch until it (laughs) never works. But Arkham was always a thing where, despite its like massive success cr- critically and commercially, mm-hmm. very few publishers looked at it and said, I want to do that. And I wonder why, you know? We had a yeah. few 
like games. The combat model took that's, off. That was about it. it yeah. yeah, we had a few games riffing its on its combat model, even in the superhero space, like with the Amazing Spider-Man mm. games. But no studio went like we can give these franchises to a team that really cares mm. and create the definitive version of this character until we got uh, Sony and Insomniac Spider-Man. Mm. But until then, Activision especially was just kind of like, well, we can do a version of the character <laughs> and we can incorporate some of these lessons in. But they didn't go in whole ass, and it, it was. Weird to me that it took until this deal was in place for you know Sony to go in whole mm. ass, and it's funny that they did, but you still got Square Enix being like, "Well, we'll happily use the name, yes, but we're not going to uh, you know care about the characters." You know, you should always go in whole ass. Sure. But in regards to yeah, the Marvel stuff, it's just one of those weird forks in video game history where you look at the likes of the PlayStation Nintendo system that was going to come together and then didn't, or the fact that an intern in the room was the guy that convinced Bill Gates to make an Xbox or something, according to certain people who were there. But it depends. I've got one for you as well. Go on. You told me this earlier. 50 Cent, uh, <laughs> Blood in the Sand, yes. having a helicopter level. Yes, 50 Cent's child was apparently given the That's build of Blood cool. in the Sand when it was being made, um, and 50 Cent's child said, and he was six years old, um, can I get some helicopter levels? And then 50 <laughs> Cent said, you heard the man, go make the helicopter levels. Um, that is from uh, Matt McMuscle's recent What Happened video, which I massively recommend um, delving into um, Blood on the Sand, 50 Cent, Blood on the Sand. Final news thing is from Puck.News, uh, which is a write-up on the idea that EA are looking to sell overall. Now, I'll read out one of the quotes from this. Um, CEO Andrew Wilson and Elect Electronic Arts have held talks with a number of different potential suitors, including Disney, Apple, and Amazon. Um, another quote from later in the article says, several sources familiar with these talks say that EA have been persistent in pursuing a sale and have only grown more emboldened in the wake of the Microsoft slash Activision deal. Others say that EA are primarily interested in a merger arrangement that would allow Wilson to remain as chief executive of the combined company rather than a whole all-out sale. Yeah. But still, what do you think of the idea of EA and that that whole bank of IP being given to who even knows who. Probably Embracer at this stage. Probably. They're buying everything else. No, I mean, it's a wild year. Like, why mm. is it the year of acquisitions? You know, everyone everywhere is getting acquired. <laughs> and EA, you know, if you asked me a few months ago, I'd have said probably not because why would they want to mm. sell? Like, even com compared to a company like Activision, mm -hmm. yes, EA is hated, but they didn't have the same necessarily internal issues that Activision no, were having. That we know of. That, yeah. we, that we know of, of course. You know, they, they, they may do, mm. but nothing that, that's gone as public as mm -hmm. the Activision stuff. So I would be like, why? But a merger would make more sense. If they do the Warner Brothers Discovery thing, where yes. it's like two companies coming together. Yeah, there Andrew is that. Wilson remains, like you mentioned. Like, do you yeah, think... Maybe. This is why they got rid of the FIFA license because Probably they were looking now. to sell. Maybe FIFA. Maybe there's something in there that would prevent them from being able to do this. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure mm. that's going to be a big uh, turning point for that company, mm. depending on how. What's it called? Uh, EAS, EA Sports FC. EA Sports Rolls FC. Rolls off the tongue. I know. Depending on how well that sells, I just wonder whether, you know, it was a similar deal with Activision where mm. they said, we're not doing bad as a company money-wise. We've just sort of hit a ceiling. We don't yeah. know how to make Call of Duty grow. Uh, we don't know how to make Blizzard grow. Like, our profits are probably as big as they're ever going to be, so we'll sell now. I wonder if EA's in a similar position where they're like, FIFA's probably not going to get much bigger. Mm. You know, Bioware stuff probably is is going to struggle in itself. Battlefield's on the downturn. Maybe they're just looking they're at their portfolio and yeah. going like, now is the time. We're never going to be bigger than this for at least like 10 more years. I hate that weird, toxic, capitalistic mentality of everything has to grow. Oh, absolutely. Like you just, it's like going to like a forest of massive oak trees, sky, sky blotting oak trees and going, well, how do we get that to grow? I know. You don't need to. <laughs> don't. It's huge. I just, that thing is every, like that mentality is everywhere. It's, just, it's I, gross. I, I fully agree, man. Cause I like, I always, I'm going to talk about this again. I talk about this in videos <laughs> all the time, but yes. the thing that blew my mind and opened my eyes to um, just how <laughs> the world works mm. was a, um, it might have been a Jason Schreier piece mm -hmm. where they were talking about how success actually doesn't even get you anywhere in the industry because you do really well, and that doesn't give you carte blanche to make whatever you want or get more freedom. No. You do well with a game like Call of Duty, and the pressure's actually on to maintain that level and grow. Look but, at the Uncharted movie? Exactly, but how difficult is it to grow from being a billion dollar company to like a $1.3 billion company? Like, that's insane. Like, mm -hmm. I, when I realized the world doesn't, 
isn't is never pleased. <laughs> I think is what you <laughs> is, is the is the brass tacks of it. When the when the world isn't pleased, with no matter what level they're mm. at, I was like, this is unsustainable. Well, like, there's a whole thing, and um, this is such a wider uh, point, and I forget the specific term. I think it's the the finance index. There's a whole thing about when you make a certain amount of money, like you're always striving to make a certain amount of money a year, and um, that'll make you happy. It'll give you more options. It'll give you more opportunities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and you'll be, you'll be able to live better. But there's a certain amount of money, and I think it differs by country. But after you make that amount of money, it doesn't make any difference to your lifestyle. Right. Like you can keep making money, and you can watch the numbers go up, but you're not gonna. You can't. There's only so many things you can do with money. Um, in regards to your like core happiness or the core reason to chase those things down in the first place. And I always apply that to the capitalistic side of it, especially in uh, in an industry where I'm like, why? What's yeah. this really going to get you other than the numbers go up? Like it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And it's only for those people that are making those uh, amounts of money a year. And it's like, well, you're not going to get any happier. Yeah. It's not going to make, you're not going <laughs> to feel better. And um, it doesn't do anything. It's just numbers going up. So like, yeah, I always end up like, oh, that's a wider um conversation but yeah. like when you look at those things like i said i just think of them as giant oak trees and going like well can we make it taller like, absolutely oh. and it trickles down to like the quality of the games as well you know you look at a game like call of duty vanguard being mm. a disappointment to activision because it only sold like a billion dollars and not <laughs> 1.5 billion dollars uh-huh. and then they were like well it's world war ii games world war ii games suck we don't want to make any more of those <laughs> and it's like right you literally don't care what no. your teams want to do you don't care what they're passionate about you just want the market uh the market that market domination the market domination you would just want you know the box boxes ticked that will get you that amount of money mm-hmm. and it's like if you ma- you're making that amount of money like surely you just want to at least in my eyes because i'm naive and i don't have any money at all <laughs> like surely if you're making a billion dollars like let your teams create whatever they want because mm-hmm. you're bringing in at the end of the day a billion dollars it doesn't matter if you're only bringing 900 million mm-hmm. in or 1.1 billion mm-hmm. like like you said like at, at a point it has to be negligible yeah. and if if people are being shut down at because of fractions of of a loss, you know, like yeah. 0.1% less or whatever. Like that just seems, like I said, unsustainable to the teams, unsustainable to the industry. And I wish I'd thought about this before I came in because I'm just rambling now. But it's just, <laughs> it's mad every single time I think about it and I get passionate about it and then I get woozy in the brain. No, I think we massively agree. I mean, especially we've done, we've talked about this stuff on news videos and podcasts and everything. It's like, if you had Naughty Dog making a whole bunch of money or Activision or whatever, I would rather you gave the individuals at those teams 20,000 individual projects rather than funnel them all into one big all eggs in one basket boring thing that like like an Avengers like an Anthem I would rather take a million in Ubisoft's case something like a million Ubi art projects rather than a giant another Assassin's Creed or something like that um, we can do a whole other podcast on this stuff at some point though because these issues are never going to go away especially as the industry gets bigger um, and as someone like EA starts to diversify or gets sold off then I guess which version of EA do you get do you get the like the, the streamlined 2010s version that's a bit Messy, but it makes one FIFA thing really well. Do you get the more experimental old one with the the license titles and Lord of the Rings and Burnout and whatever, or do you get the really ancient one with Ziff Davis doing all sorts of <laughs> business deals and whatever else he can get off the ground? So we'll find out as things come together. For now, though, this has been the windup. I've been Scott Hilford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Hilford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you next week. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 